Episode 3164 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Monday, time for a variety show. I, I titled today's show, Let's Just Talk About Everything. And as I was putting it together, I realized this is the 12th of September, so we got to throw a 9-11 topic in there. That's probably why the, the live stream is already loaded with people, because everybody shows up for the doom, the gloom, the conspiracies, etc., uh, tomorrow we'll talk about Bitcoin. You know, maybe Thursday we'll talk about something really practical and half of y'all will show up. We'll see. Anyway, um, here's what we got today, guys. We have, uh, an issue with the electrical grid no one's talking about. It's one little place that I have this report from, but it's everywhere. And it's one of those things that's like, it could be a problem, but if there's a big ass storm, it's going to be a problem for a lot longer than normal. Um, we also have uh, what we call a triple dip La Nina coming, meaning La Nina ain't leaving. She's hanging around. What does that mean? I'll tell you all about it. We're talking about, you know, as a direct result of that, what was the actual cost of the 2022 drought so far? We're not done yet. But some really bad stuff's going on with the food supply. I don't think you'll starve, but you might pay a lot more to eat no matter what you eat. If you're a gruel eater, you'll pay more for your gruel. And if you're a meat eater, you're going to pay more for your meat. Um then we're going to talk about these three uncomfortable truths that you've likely, not definitely, but likely have never heard before about 9-11. And it's going to make some of you really, really mad. And you know why it'll make you really, really mad? Because it's all true. It's all true. And it's like bad to worse to worser. Is worse a reward? It is today, just for the hell of it. Because if I'm going to trigger people, I might as well trigger people on everything. By the way, those of you guys who get upset or triggered, Get a twitch in your eye when I refer to my geese as gooses. That's actually correct. Geese and gooses are both technically correct versions of plural for goose, just for the hell of like tweaking a little more eyelashes today. Then we're going to talk about grooming and wokeism in schools. Have you ever thought that maybe the entire plan of the left, I don't mean the lunatics actually doing it, but the people at the top guiding it is to lose that fight? That maybe it's like a false flag in a way? That's 9-11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. No, we're going to, well, this will be after that. But have you ever actually thought to yourself, why is this the hill these people are choosing to die on and dying on it? Who thought this was a good idea? Not the, not the how twisted and how much depravity there is in it, but who thought, you know what? This is what we'll make our stand on. Why would you do that? I have a weird answer for you that might be true. Let's talk about building community, all these intentional communities. You know 98% of them fail. Is it really possible? What would it look like? We'll talk about that today. Um, I had a question um, on dealing with toxic and status relatives. I'm going to say those are not necessarily one and the same. We'll talk about that a bit. And I, I mentioned last week in an episode about the relative passing of time, how time seems to accelerate for us as we age. And I have a different way of looking at that. If somebody... 
mentioned this. I've heard it before, but mentioned it in one of the comments on YouTube. I don't, I couldn't find that comment today, so I can't credit the person, but, uh, we'll, we'll extrapolate from what they had said. Uh, something that I think might actually make a lot of sense as to why time seems to move faster as we age for people. Cause I found out that a lot of people, um, were really hit with that comment. Yeah, I've not, I have several people say, I've noticed this, that time passes fast now. I never said anything anyway about it. I don't want them to think I was crazy. Well, you know, all the way back in 1976, Jackson Brown released an album called The Pretender, and the title track on it, The Pretender, had a, had a line in it. I've been aware of time going by. They say in the end, it's the wink of an eye. It's exactly what he was talking about. The time accelerates as we age, and the amount of time we have left obviously becomes shorter. And I'll tell you why that's actually a good thing if you live the right life. Before we do that, let's hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is John Pugliano with the Wealth Steading Podcast. Uh, if you guys have not subscribed to John's podcast, it comes out pretty much about once a week. They're pretty short. It's definitely worth subscribing to. Now, if you go to John's website, you'll see that he tells you how to subscribe in Apple and Google and Spotify and Stitcher, all the all the old man boomer podcast networks, not Fountain.fm. Someday maybe he'll add that to his site. You should definitely listen to him on Fountain FM. And then you should like send him boostergrams or stream him sats or anything like that so we can drag this old man into the world of being orange pilled. But seriously, John is really a switched on guy when it comes to investing. I subscribe to the Wealth Studying Podcast. I pay attention to what John has to say. I've made him a member of our expert council for a reason. He's been part of the TSP community since 2011. There's a reason. He's also a prepper. He's a guy that walks the walk and talks the talk. Guy is even a uh, ham radio uh, operator and a full-on prepper as well. Next up, I wanted to talk to you today about ButcherBox. I wanted to do something I, I don't think I've ever done before, for those of you on the video anyway. You're looking at my next butcher box. So I, I always say that butcher box is the one company. They don't pay me in money. They pay me in meat this month because they had so many deals that worked well for me. I'm actually going to pay them some money because their sponsorship thing, you know, like it, it doesn't fully cover what you're about to see, but this is a typical box of mine. I stick mostly to the beef when it comes to my average everyday stuff. This, this time around, I've got sirloin cap, ribeyes, ranch steaks, New York strip steaks, Flat iron steaks, top sirloin, all in my box. Add-on, I love this stuff. I actually don't need any more right now. I left one cold smoked sliced salmon for this box because I have found that sometimes the add-ons, when you take them away, you can't get them back. But if you keep them, you can keep them. So I've, I've got one, at, one on there. Uh, then they also had like a really good deal on cold cracked lobster meat. That's a big treat for me and my wife. So I've got a couple of those bone-in chicken thighs. Uh, I got a couple of those added on this year. Then they did this tender belly bacon, uh, 10 pack for 115 bucks. That's 1150 a pound for pastured bacon. Now I had just been to the grocery store and saw the price of bacon. And when that came out, I was like, boom, we're doing that. So I've got that this year. Premium steak tips. I love, love, love their steak tips. They are so versatile and they're quick to cook. You know, what do you want it to be tonight? You want it to be kind of got the Italian flair, the French flair, the Asian flair, whatever you want, you can do it. You throw those guys on the, on the flat top and they're just delicious. Some of you have had my skewers. And then I've got all my free stuff. This is stuff that I've acquired over the years as ButcherBox has done special deals. So I got ground beef coming. I got that free for life. Wings for life. I got that coming. 
bacon for life, got that coming. Flank steak for life, got that coming. And so that's all the stuff I have. That gives you an idea, and there's a lot of other things you can get from Butcher Box. Pastured pork, pastured poultry, you name it, they've got it. Uh, some really good stuff, guys, so definitely check them out. Again, they've been a sponsor of what we're doing for a long time. Uh, let's dive on into things today. I want to, uh, that's already starting with the, 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 the stuff of 9-11. Wait, guys, you're going to be so mad because it's going to be like, even if you're right, it, well, you'll see what happens. I'm going to keep you hanging on it. So I just want to tickets for TSP 2022. If you want to come to my fall workshop, it's going to sell out even faster than ever before. Okay. Faster than ever. Because we've got all the momentum, and I'm cutting ticket sales from 65 students to 50 students so we can do a better job with food, personal attention, and things like that. The last two years we did 65 paid students. I just felt the quality slipped. So that means it is going to really change fast. Christopher Paul in the middle of this says, what's the best uh, platform to watch my live feed on? Probably YouTube for quality. Anyway, um, September 22nd, September 24th, I'm sorry, it's a Saturday. September 24th, tickets to TSP 2022 will go on sale. They will go on sale at 9.30 Central Standard Time a.m. In other words, 09.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. It will go live. You will be able to order. And then in like two minutes, you will not. So stay apprised of this. If you are not yet on um, on my distribution list, like my email list or my Telegram channel or something like that, you need to get on one of them. You need to make, if you want to come, that, that's what I'm saying. If you want to come, you need to make sure you don't miss it. I will have uh, for you guys probably tomorrow kind of the first pre-event uh, you know, posting on the website where I'll tell you some of the things we have planned, some of the food we have planned, start to do things like that. Before anybody asks, if you're like, well, I, where would I fly into? Dallas-Fort Worth Airport is the best airport here, and Love Field in, in downtown Dallas isn't that bad. Those would be your two airports that you'd be looking at for travel. I'm about 45 minutes to an hour from either of them. I'm actually closer when traffic's right, but it's not always right. Anyway, so let's start off with something that – this is something you should be hearing about, and you're not. There is a threat – to our electrical grid right now, and it's not because too many people would be plugging in a Tesla, okay? It's not because California is stupid. I mean, even though those things are true, there's a threat to our, our electrical grid and our way of life in America today because there's a shortage of transformers at all sizes. And I have this article for you. I'm not going to read it, but it's talking about transformers that, we're not talking about the giant ones that you see, you know, like giant, uh, huge things. We're talking about small transformers, the ones you see mounted on a pole or on a pedestal in a backyard. We're talking about transformers that serve anywhere from four uh, households to 25 or 30. But, yeah, those big ones, there's kind of a shortage there, too. There's backlogs now on new orders for some of this equipment from 48 to 96 months. We're talking the financing length on some cars here. You hear that. You get that. That's a bit of a problem. Now, where this really becomes a problem, let's say that we get another Hurricane Harvey. 
Yeah. Something like that that hit Houston and South Texas and it floods everything out and blows up. So what do you do now? It's also hitting a place that's already critically being hit, which is new build construction. Because when they build all those new houses, you need transformers. This, this particular article, uh, this uh, public utility uh, district in Jefferson County, um, they try to keep 60 of these things on hand at all times, basically the small units, and a minimum quantity being 20 units. Like That's like where they start to go, whoa, we got a problem. They're well below that stock at this time. Now, this is, this is interesting to me, guys, because they always want to talk to you about everything that's bad, right? But when there's something actually bad, you can actually point to a concrete situation of where this could really be a problem. You know, it's written up in little articles and stuff like this, but nobody wants to talk about it. So I want you to think, you know, what happens if we have some major storm outbreak in the next, oh, I don't know, couple years? Isn't this a problem? What are they going to do about it? Now, I'll tell you what they'll do, but it doesn't fix the problem. What they would do if it was very regional is they would start reaching out across districts and say, hey, can you guys spare a couple of these, a couple of those? But what it means is even in the best case scenario, that significant outages are going to last longer. We, we tend to think, I think we think about this the wrong way. So there's a storm. Power goes out. All right. So then the guys come in the bucket trucks. Those guys are unsung heroes, dude. The people that work on that shit, those are heroes that don't work capes. They, they, they turn society back on after it goes off. But much like a doctor, they're not magical people, right? They, the doctor doesn't come in and lay hands on you. If there's enough damage done, either he can't fix you or like, this guy needs a liver. This guy needs a heart. This guy needs a lot. Like, I can't fix the ones that are there. When it comes to electrical, just because you see all those guys in bucket trucks coming out, doesn't mean they just turn the power back on. It's not like they just run around flipping switches and hooking up lines that are broke. A lot of times there's equipment that's damaged, and it's damaged beyond the point of repair, and almost none of it is repairable, especially in the field. So best-case scenario, whatever you're used to when the power goes out for the next few years, just assume it's going to be longer. How much longer? I don't know. I don't know, but longer. And again, the media, the government, everybody that claims to care so much about your needs, you know, they're not telling you about this, talking to you about this. They're not suggesting real world solutions to this. They're like, we need more solar. Solar will save everything, right? That's all we need is more solar and wind. Okay. Here's the funny thing about electricity. It travels to places the same way no matter how you generate it. You can generate it in a coal plant, a natural gas plant, a nuclear plant with windmills. You can generate it with a solar farm. You can generate it any way you want. Once it's electricity, it's the same electricity. This is why I keep saying any person who starts running their mouth about clean energy, green energy. If you can't tell me what things like impedance and attenuation are, you should just shut your freaking hole, right? You have no business talking about any of this. You don't understand what you're talking about. You're conjuring up ideas and words like some sort of magician with no power. You don't understand the hurdles that we have. So, yeah, I don't know that we can just put in more power if we have problems with the actual transmission across the grid. And I have to tell you this. If little pedestal transformers that serve 
four houses. And I, I guess maybe it's time for a little bit of a education on how this works. So power comes down these main lines. And if you took that main line and plugged it right into your house, you would flat blow the shit out of your house. Right? Your house is not rated for that high capacity line. And they're stepped down by transformers across the, the transmission. And each transformer steps down the service to the service area requirements of what's actually being delivered. Because if you try to take the power you run in your house and you try to run just that across, you know, a couple of miles and serve a few houses, it won't work. So you get to this step down transformer and you have a primary electric line that goes into it. And it goes in there and it steps down and it can serve four residences. That's the tra- that's the primary transformer they're talking about in this article. All right. If they're short on those, they're short on everything. They're short on everything if they're short on those. Those are the easiest ones to build. Now, the other side of that, though, is they are the ones that are the most numerous. Right. The, the you know, serving four, serving 20. Those type of transformers are the ones that are most numerous and they're the ones that are most added on to. But these things break. And so I don't care if you generate your energy with some sort of zero point scientific energy from a fantasy land or you generate it by burning polar bears. In the end, if you have the power here and you have to get it over here, it uses the same infrastructure to get there. So it's, it's something we really need to. Really need to think about. Next up, this is something you're not hearing much about, maybe a little bit on the Weather Channel or what have you, but triple dip La Nina is on the way. What is La Nina? There's two primary weather patterns that develop in the Gulf of Mexico and Central America that affect North America, and those are La Nina and El Nino, right? La Nina is a little girl. El Nino is a little boy, right? It can also mean the Christ child, basically, because it's good when El Nino comes. It's bad when La Nina comes. And basically, this means the ocean temperatures in a La Nina year in the Gulf of Mexico and, 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 and that area are lower than normal. And El Nino is higher than normal. What happens with if it's absolutely normal? That would be a La Nada. Right. So but generally you have a warmer or colder period. Now, the way this affects the United States is two primary ways. One, it creates colder winters all the way up to the northeastern United States. And two, it results in drier seasons in most of the United States. It is a the warm Gulf moisture is a big part of the rains that are generated that come up from Texas, Louisiana, the Gulf, and move up and through the Midwest and then into the eastern United States. What does this mean? It means we have another colder-than-normal winter coming while energy prices are through the roof. It means we have a prolonged, exasperated drought. So that's wonderful. That's great. No one's talking about it. And see, this is one of those types of weather patterns that are actually very predictable, and the indicators are easy for a meteorologist to see. And they're highly reliable. It's not, and of course they put their bullshit about climate change in it, and they always do. They have to. It's like it's like paying homage to the gods. If you don't do it, you get smited uh, or something like that. But this is just an ongoing weather pattern. And I'll tell you the other thing about it. 
It is going along with this thing that I've been talking about since 2014, and that is the dry line from Texas up into the Midwest has been shifting east. This is a climate change. The climate, I know this is shocking to some people, changes all the time all by itself. And our little tiny window that we live in that we think this is the way it's supposed to be is actually a complete aberration from the mean norm. Our planet throughout much of its, most of its history, vast majority, was far warmer and wetter than it is today. Lots more CO2 in the atmosphere and lots more plants. And I'm not just talking about the plants we cut down. I'm talking about overall mega climate of the entire globe. In fact, you could describe the time we're living in now as an ice age. I know that's hard to understand, but it is a dramatically cold planet versus the mean normal. And it's a dramatically dry planet versus the mean normal. We just weren't here for it. We forget that we're this little tiny mouse fart in the grand scheme of climate and the grand scheme of the age of this planet. You know all those big giant lizards that are in the museum? They were here longer than we've been here. We forget all this, and we forget these, these mega trends. And the climate shifts a lot like Hemingway's line about bankruptcy. How do we go bankrupt? First gradually, then suddenly. And I feel like we are on some major climate shifts. And does CO2 play a role as far as man-made? Maybe. Possibly. Does it matter? Not really. Not really. It's not going to change any of this. And so does that mean we're going to be in La Nina forever? Probably not. Will it break by this spring? If you're a farmer in Texas or the Midwest, you hope so. But we already can tell by the way that things have stacked up that it's not breaking going into this winter. And so triple dip, what they mean is three of them in a row. Now, there's a little line. Media loves to do shit, to make things sound like more than they are. So one of the things they did here is said, this is the first time that this has happened, three La Ninas back-to-back in our in this century. So they make it sound like in 100 years. The century is 22 years old. So it's not like this has never happened. And it, the, the phenomenon was first named in the 1600s by fishermen. That, like, noticed, hey, it's warmer than normal, and there's lots of fish, and it's colder than normal, not as many. So anyway, here we go. Moving on, there was a drought last year. You guys have heard me talk about what it did to my property. But we haven't talked that much about what it did to the whole country. And I want to just give you some high points from this article. Um, and I know many of you are like me. You don't eat corn. You don't eat wheat. You don't eat rice. It doesn't matter. Other people do. Animals do. And this has a massive impact on the total uh, agricultural industry in our country, and it's, this dirt certainly hits uh, animals as well. Uh, but the drought consumed 40% of the country for the past 101 weeks, so almost two years. It would be 104 to be exactly two years, right? So 101 weeks, we've had at least 40% of the country in drought, but not the same 40%. The places in drought have moved around, which means it was a massive impact. Um we had all these recent rains, but a ton of the country is still is still in drought. California, farmers are making tough choices to give up on their strawberries and tomatoes, lettuce, and melons 
So whatever water they get can go to crops like almonds and grapes and olives, since these are long-term crops they have a bigger vested interest in. In fact, in other part of this article, I'm not going to dig around trying to find it for you, but I'll just tell you from memory of reading it. That's happening. So there's people that have farms that have like perennials and annuals on one farm. There's also other farms, they are all annual crops, and they just didn't plant or they just let what they had go, and they're selling their water to the people that are growing perennials because they're making more money selling the water, the water that they have allocated to them, than they could make by growing a crop with it. But what does that sound like? What does that sound Does that make you think of anything? I know it's a loose association here, but isn't it kind of like being paid to stay home? Like, you, you get more money by not being productive than by being productive. It is selling of a resource, and I get that. And I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying, like, things are bad. They're, the, the bright spot is soybeans. Um, there's a forecast for 4.3 billion bushels, lower than the USDA's 4.53 billion bushels, but slightly higher than last year. So we grew a little bit more soy, but last year was a bad year. The bad news extends to cattle, pretending bad news for next year's beef prices. When the weather is dry and hot, there's not as much natural feed around, so it's the same to herd. Ranchers must bring in hay and feed prices soar, prompting ranchers to sell their animals a little early, often to sell heifers, that's the young females, rather than keep them as breeding stock. So we have a situation where a recent Farm Bureau survey found that the largest herd decline is in Texas, down 50%, followed by New Mexico down 43%, and Oregon is down 41%. That's the size of all ca- all head of cattle in total in the country. There's there's a lot more here. There's almost 70% of the Texas uh, crop, the Texas, um, I'm sorry, the Texas cotton crop was abandoned this year. In other words, farmers just went, screw it. Not watering it, not taking care of it. I'm just giving up. I quit. I'm done. Finished. Can't do it. I actually did that this year myself. I took three of three of my four primary garden beds, and I just stopped watering them. And I let everything begin to die. And then I watered them really heavy, and I tarped them. And I, I'm basically using this as a rebuilding year now. I don't even know if I'm going to do a fall garden this year, honestly. I might just do hydro. There's huge shortfalls. If, if you kept reading that article in, in like tomatoes, which you're like, ah, whatever, it's going to jack up the price of everything that has tomatoes in it. We don't think of that as a primary food crop, do we? But anybody here eat pizza, spaghetti, ketchup, et cetera? Like how many, how many products are out there that working level families put on the table, good or bad, they put on the table for their kids. It makes feeding your family affordable. Lot families live on pizza and stuff like that. Again, I don't think it's the most healthy choice, but I'm not going to berate some guy that makes 50 grand a year and his wife makes 40. They got three kids and they're trying to pay their bills. And like, hey, you know, if we eat this way, I can afford to feed the kids. Well, you should do that then. And so this is like from high end to low end and everything in between. It's also very bad for farmers as a whole. So look for a farmer bailout. Everybody was against it when Trump did it, but, you know, everybody will be for it now. Or Actually, that'll just the groups who were against it or for it will just switch, even though it's the same thing. But the reality is a lot of these concerns now, you're not bailing out farmers, you're bailing out corporations. 
the small scale farmer is more a marketing piece now than they are a reality. The small scale farmers mostly are dealing directly with their customers. They're not selling into this mass food store as much anymore. Right? These are massive farms and many of them, again, they're corporate owned. You can drive through parts of Arkansas. You won't see a person or a building other than like some little farmhouse here that's like rotting and dying and no one lives there and see nothing but fields and fields and fields and fields just in Arkansas. It's not all just the Midwest. That all got hit too. So we have an electrical supply shortage that threatens the grid and an agricultural shortage that threatens our food supply. And no one's really talking about it. This, why am I telling you this? Because you just might want to stock up a little bit more right now on your ability to sustain yourself without power and to sustain yourself with shortages in the food supply. I know I talk about prepping all the time, and it should just go without saying, but there are times where we work a little harder. And I'm going to give you some of my thoughts more about food security when we talk about community and, and the only way I see out of this long term uh, toward the end of the day. I want to switch conversation now with – the reason so many of y'all turned up, 9-11, 9-11, 9-11, more money, more money, more laws, more money, more laws, more money, 9-11, terrorists, 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 the hair of freedom, 9-11. And then y'all conspiracy theorists, which I have to put myself among you because I don't share all, all the beliefs of the, the typical uh, conspiracy theorists of 9-11, but I do not believe the mainstream narrative of 9-11, that it was just 19 dudes with box cutters and there was nothing that could be done and we never foresaw it, blah, 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 blah. There's also some other stuff I don't believe that I won't even waste my time going in today because that's the uncomfortable truths. This is where some of you are going to get your jimmies really, really rustled. I'm talking, you're going to have your balls up in your throat. Some of you are going to be so rustled. But you're not going to be able to prove to me that anything I'm about to tell you is wrong. So here's the first uncomfortable truth, and this is mostly for people who do not believe the mainstream narrative on 9-11. It doesn't matter if you're right at all at this point in history, and it's never going to. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, the world moved on. The average person has either accepted it or accepted there's nothing you can do about it. If you continue telling people about Building 7 and Larry Silverstein or whatever other thing there is for you, cruise missile that hit the Pentagon, why is all the video? Fl- There's plenty of questions there I completely agree with you on their validity. Jet fuel doesn't melt steel. No one really cares that can do anything about it, and they never will. If, if you're 100% right on all of it, then the only thing I can conclude over 20 years after it happened is, and they all got away with it. And you need to accept that because grown-ass men need to accept reality. You can keep chanting about Lucky Larry. You can keep talking about the pen. You can do whatever you want. You can actually completely browbeat your Uncle Frank or your brother Dave to the point where they go, gee, you're right, and it won't matter. It's over. It's done. It happened. And it's one of those rare events in history. It's one of those rare events in history where people that were alive and old enough to really remember it, literally remember their life, bifurcated in before and after. I have a different view of my world and my life prior to 9-11 than I do after 9-11. And then we went about 20 years till we had another one, pre and post covid 
And I think if you're going to go back before that, it's, it's funny. They all seem to have a lot of conspiracy theory wrapped up around them. You go back before 9-11 to the place where people really, and it's, it's more than 20 years this time, but the place where really people kind of remember themselves before and after, I think it would be the Kennedy assassination. And I think if you go back, I mean, Vietnam, I'm not really sure it lasted so long. It was so protracted out. It was a lot like the war on terrorism in Afghanistan. I, I don't know if people really view their lives as before and after because these are kind of short-term moments. But I think if you go back from Kennedy, you do get a rather long-term moment, but a four-year moment. I think there's people people that, when they, you know, we don't have many of them left, but kind of viewed their life prior to and after World War II and prior to that, prior to and after the Great Depression. There's not... That doesn't mean any of these events are connected or look the same. Cuban Missile Crisis, that might be one, too. That might be one, too. I remember my, my grandmother talked about that to me more than she did about Kennedy's assassination. My grandmother had four children at the time the Cuban Missile Crisis hit. And my grandfather was the chief warrant officer in military intelligence, and they were stationed in Lebanon at the time, whole families there. And because of that, He, uh, he knew things that the average person didn't. He knew that we were really a lot closer to seeing the missiles go off than even the average public who was shitting their pants believed. And at the final confrontation, like, where well, this is either going to happen or not, they put the kids to bed, didn't tell them anything. They got a bottle of Lebanese rose wine, went up on the roof, sat down together and waited to see if it was going to happen or not and figured there's nothing we can do about it. That was the approach that they took to it. So, yeah. But my point is that, like, when these things happen, we generally have an opportunity to capitalize on to wake people up with. I think we did a better job with COVID than we have with 9-11. However, I will say that a lot of things that are true about COVID, you, you just might as well stop saying it because no one cares. Like, we've moved on. And that's the first uncomfortable truth about 9-11. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter unless you have videotape of Bush and Cheney gaming it out on a board that no one's ever seen before. No one that doesn't care is going to care. And even if you do, nothing is ever going to happen. The people that are responsible for it are either dead or aging out and dying. And they got away with it. That's uncomfortable truth, number one. Number two, we wasted 20 years having the wrong conversation about 9-11. My wife and I were just talking about this, and she said, well, what do you think happened? I said, it doesn't matter. What matters is what was done after it. And the problem is all the people that sounded the alarm how the Patriot Act was not a Patriot Act at all, all the people that sounded the alarm about the Freedom Act and how it was nothing to do with freedom, All the people that sounded the alarm about the NSA whistleblower shit and all that tied it back to the, the changes after 9-11 all made it about Building 7, Larry Silverstein, the Pentagon, nuclear, you know, whatever. Like, lost my, like, instead of saying, hey, this shit's bad and they're using this as an excuse to do this shit, it all got mixed together, which I believe was intentional. I believe it was intentional, and I believe a lot of the fringe, the most fringe level stuff and the unwillingness to listen and has been fed by the people from the Fed, right? The federal government fed, the Fed fed, a lot of like 
plausible but disinformational pieces into that and actually made it a bigger movement than it would ever have been because it was useful to them. So every time somebody said, hey, you know, uh, maybe we shouldn't have, like, the, the, the most powerful intelligence uh, apparatus in the world listening to uh, every conversation you have with your grandmother, they could just go, ah, he's a conspiracy theory, and it worked. We had the wrong conversation. We blew the opportunity as a society to have the right conversation. That was the conversation that we should have had with normies. Hey, look what's happened. Here's the third uncomfortable truth. It's too late. You can't go back and have the conversation that we should have had now and have anybody take you seriously. Because the change in people's lives was gradual. Okay? And it was so gradual that they're convinced it didn't happen. They don't see what happened. They don't understand what happened. And there was constant times where they went a little bit totally wacky and then pulled it back just so everything looked normal again. Do you remember when they, for a while, do you remember this happening? They were going around in airports and people were sitting like having a drink. This happened at the FW airport. You're sitting in a bar. You know, like they have the little, like they're outside bars, even though everything's inside. Like you have the restaurant here and they have a little railing that comes out. And these people are sitting at a bar and they're drinking. And TSA agents are walking around wanting to put a test strip in the thing that they're actually drinking. Like that's, and you got to hold on to that thought because it's going to come up again later in a totally different way. We talk about is wokeism and, and this transgenderism, this grooming shit, a false flag in education. It's definitely a bigger one, but shit like that happened. There was all kinds of stuff they did at the airports with TSA related to this 9-11 shit and terrorism and, and whatever. It, it, it happened for a little while and then it went away. And it was to create the illusion of normalcy. So it's too late to have the conversation we should have had. We had the wrong conversation. And no matter, I don't care those of you that are like full on 9-11 truthers. If every single crackpot crazy theory is right, it doesn't matter. It's not going to matter and it's never going to matter. Now, if you enjoy digging into it, if you enjoy learning more, if you want to research, you want to, I'm not telling you to not talk about it. Talk about it all you want. I'm just telling you, you're the fly in the window I talk about. Buzz, buzz, buzz against the window. Freedom's right there. You're going to die in that windowsill. You're going to die in that windowsill. That's what's going to happen. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's not about The threat, it's about the reaction to the threat. It's about how we respond. We are the crowd that, in the words of Marcus Aurelius, can be moved with slight agitation so that we, 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 we have a, a marvelous resemblance to the sea. It's all about what you can do. So if 9-11 was a completely organic terrorist attack, which I don't believe, it doesn't matter. If it's somewhere between there and the complete extreme version of conspiracy theories that many of y'all believe, like I believe somewhere in that centerpiece, it's a little bit more probable in my view. It doesn't matter. My, my opinion doesn't matter either. And if it is, is, it is, if it is insane as the most insane theories sound, space aliens were working with Bill Clinton who fed information up George Bush's asshole to get it done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The underwear bomber, I think they put him on the plane. I think they, they, uh, <laughs> I think that's how he got on the plane. Right. We have we have tons of op, tons of 
uh, tons of instances where we we have absolute conclusive proof that some sort of terrorist was actually handled by the FBI. Like Ramsey Youssef, we won't even go that today. Anyway, there you go. There's your uncomfortable troops. So it was worth tuning in for. What, did you think I was going to talk about uh, cruise missiles or thermite or something? All the wrong conversation, even if you're right. Even if you're right. The snook. My favorite, my favorite South Park episode ever was about the suitcase nukes and they were like, uh, parodying, parodying, uh, the 24 series. Like according to a Z Harmony account and they were going to put a a snook in in, in Hillary Clinton's snooch. That you should look that up and you should watch that episode because there were a lot of people that didn't think it was funny at the time because they thought it was a serious threat and now it's like, oh, Kind of reminds you, I don't know, of like looking at a picture today of early 2020 in Wuhan, China, with guys walking around in paper suits that do absolutely nothing, with people falling over or laying dead in the streets. And people like me were telling you, that's all bullshit, and you got mad at me? You remember that? Because I remember. I remember the hate mail. This thing's really dangerous, man. I know three doctors. Everybody knew three doctors. By March of 2020... Every person that hated me knew three ER doctors they talked to every day. And I'm like, this is, you look at that picture now and you're like, well, I see where you you were pointing out back then. It looks completely ludicrous and ridiculous now, right? But it doesn't matter. And that's the thing, the COVID stuff too. If you notice, I don't talk about things like HCQ and stuff like that because it doesn't matter. People have made up their minds. People have made up their minds about this, and they either are or are not following along with the mainstream narrative. Now, this is a place that's actually a little different to me. I think a lot more people are kind of distancing themselves from their positions in the past, and they're making decisions like not getting the 15th clot shot or whatever, but let's move on. Let's, Let's talk about something else. Okay, we just talked about how they did things like walking around wanting to put a test strip in your beer, that you're drinking, which makes no sense. If I have explosives in my beer, I'm not going to drink it. And if I do, I'm not going to blow up. I'm going to get sick, pass out, and maybe die. Like So, like, there was this weird shit going on. It didn't seem to make any sense. Let's think about this crap that they're doing to our kids in our schools. Now, personally, as, a, as, as opposed to it as I am, I actually see a lot of good that came from it. I think there is a shitload of people homeschooling or private schooling that wouldn't be if it wasn't happening. So I think for the freedom of our children and parents saying, enough, thou shall not touch my child anymore, yank, I think it's been a good, that's the only good thing I can come up with from it. But I want you to think about this. Does this make sense? Let's take the whole you know inability to answer the question, what is a woman, and put it on the shelf. Let's take the whole, if you had a conversation with my six-year-old granddaughter about her genitals and told her not to tell her parents or her grandparents, you, the last thing you're probably seeing is a backhoe pushing dirt into the hole you're laying in. Let's just take that all at the show. Let's look at this tactically. Let's look at this Democratic National Committee overriding strategy. It's an overriding political strategy. What... What sense does this make? Again, let, I know it's hard to let go of things you're emotional about. Like some of you are still wanting to email me about Building 7. Again, I, I know I was in Building 7 before it collapsed. 
not a day, like a couple weeks before it collapsed. I actually understand why it collapsed. And you want to email me now and tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. You were never in it, whatever. Um, but yeah, like it's hard when you got to let go of that emotion. I just let it happen to myself going back to that one, right? It's hard, but take it away. Take it away from this entire idea of how bad it is and just say, if I'm in charge and I'm an evil maniacal bastard that makes Mr. Burns from the Simpsons look like a, like friggin' the flying nun, right? Would I do this? Like, I don't care about people's lives at all. All I want is my agenda accomplished. And if you, if you say yes, then why? To what end? Um, Aaron says, I still think they want violence. I do too, but there's a lot easier ways to get violence than this. Now, I guess this could be some accelerant before you throw the freaking Molotov cocktail, but I don't know. There's, I, if you want violence from the right, you could get violence from the right. We're, we're not as quick to violence. Or we, the right is not as quick to violence, but all people are prone to violence in the right circumstance. Lots of ways to get violence. I don't think so. I've thought about this a lot. And I've thought about this as I've had a completely different thought that I think maybe the two are connected. And I've been saying this a lot lately on social media. It's an uncomfortable truth or a hard-to-swallow pill. The school system sucked before any of this started. This is actually a rather new phenomenon. The wokeism and the grooming are really a new phenomenon in our school. There's been a lot of little inklings here and there of like the political correctness and all. But if you go back five years, we weren't even talking about this. We weren't talking about what we weren't even having, like no one in their right mind even thought we would have a conversation. I told my wife this. I said, five years ago, if I told you there would be a national debate on whether it's okay for a kindergarten teacher to discuss amputating a penis with a five-year-old kid in their classroom, you would have told me I was flaming nuts. And I would have told you you were nuts. I would have never believed this was going to happen. This doesn't make sense. This does not fit. This does not fit with a sound political strategy. Now, you could say whatever, you know, liberals are stupid, and, well, a lot of them are, and so are a lot of you conservatives, by the way. There's a lot of stupid people. I think about 5% of people in the country conduct themselves like adults, Right? I talked about steel manning the other side to understand the other side, and I had a person make a comment this morning on that video, and uh, they said that was a brilliant move for me because it let me understand things, and sometimes I find out I'm wrong. I'm like, congratulations, you've gone to 5% of people in America that conduct themselves like adults. You actually look at the other side's you know, viewpoint. Now, I, 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 I can't find a steel man for doing this with children. That's where there's a problem here. Like, Everything, even that I disagree with vehemently, that the left's done, I can see their position even if I disagree with it. I can see why people would buy into it even if I disagree with it. Thinking that this is okay. Thinking that any, thinking that it's okay for a man to compete in a, a combat sport with women as a wimp woman because he says he's a woman. This is not, this is not a valid Political, this is a losing political strategy. The schools sucked before they did this. Is it possible? I'm not saying it's the case, but is it possible? This whole thing is a psyop. That the education system we know 
is dying. We know it's dying. We absolutely know it's dying. It is a multi-trillion dollar industry. Okay? It's a industry. K-12 to education is an industry, and it's an industry that props up the university system and, and, and other forms of higher education. It is. It is. And it doesn't matter why academia is susceptible to the PSYOP. It's not, again, you got to let go. But they are the professors now is what somebody's saying. I understand what you're saying, but it's still not a winning political strategy. The average person who is a Democrat, who would vote Democrat if the dog was right, still doesn't think this is okay. This is not a valid political strategy unless you plan to lose in the end. We have school districts, like school uh, board of education representatives and stuff like that, being flipped to Republican in districts that have been 100% Democrat for 40 years or more. It's a failing political strategy. Virginia elected a Republican governor. This was his, his main issue. This is not a winning political strategy. What if the plan is to lose? What if the plan is to lose? See, and, and uh, Crockpot Rock says, not a political strategy. It's social engineering. No, it's always. See, this is where people don't understand. It is always a political strategy. Once it's sucked up into politics, the mafia bosses that sit at the head of the table for the GOP and the DNC, it is always a political strategy. You can do social engineering without adopting it into your, into your side's belief system, without backing candidates, without putting money into it, without pushing it on people. It's actually much more effective as social engineering done that way because it doesn't get a lot of resistance and you don't get harmed from it. What if they lose? What if two election cycles from now, this stuff is gutted from our schools? What do people think? One, we fixed it. It's right back where it was five years ago when it sucked, and you were figuring out that it sucked, but now you think it's great. Now, here's the other thing. Do you think they're going to fire all of the weirdo teachers that do this? Do you think they're going to fire all those weirdo teachers that you see on libs of TikTok or whatever? That, that are like how distraught they are that evil-ass Satan DeSantis will not let them talk to their, their first graders about their relationship with their transgender, bi-neutral, bipolar bear freaking, uh, you know, spouse? As though, like, I can't remember ever having any of my teachers Mention their spouse to me or their home life at all at that level. I remember a few snide comments by a pretty disgruntled, divorced English teacher in my high school years. But, you know, we were talking to 15, 16-year-old kids, and it was more like she got everything and cleaned me out. Stuff like not Not about their bedroom habits. This is a bad strategy. Unless, it is, unless I'm right, and I'm not saying I am. Unless I'm right, if, if the plan is to lose... It could be something that saves our currently dying education paradigm for 20 more years. Don't think they wouldn't do it. They'll do anything that works. And you can call them, again, you can call them stupid and incompetent. They're not stupid and they're not incompetent. Even these people, these senators and all that say stupid, congressmen and whatever, they say stupid shit. 
They're not incompetent. They're, you think they're incompetent because they're talking about economics. Their job has nothing to do with economics or education or roads or any of that shit. Their job, their primary, their first job, gain power. Their second job, retain power. Third job, get more power. When you evaluate politicians in this country on those three metrics, first gain power, second keep power, third increase power. In other words, go from go from House of Representatives to Senate. That would be increasing power and also gives you a longer duration before you have to stand election again. Or if you get voted out, end up working as a lobbyist and then end up in a cabinet position. If you evaluate our politicians based on that, they're the most competent politicians in the in the world. And they don't do things that don't make sense. And it doesn't matter about the teacher. Somebody's commenting about the teacher. I read your whole comment. I'm not putting you down. I just it doesn't matter. The teachers have tenure. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're not talking about what's going on on the ground. We're talking about the mass adoption as a political ideology to be a hill to die on that is a losing decision and intentionally doing it anyway. And I think that's what's going on. I think their entire goal is, one, it is incrementalism done by a giant step forward and a three-quarter step backward. No matter what victories people have, there'll be some piece of it left behind. Like I said, all those teachers are going to stay. They're still going to do it. They're still going to be able to do it as openly. In some ways, it might make it worse because you won't know what's going on as much, and you'll be dumb enough to think it worked, right? I don't know. I think it's a psyop. I think they know it's a losing strategy, and they know that this is a – see, this is the other thing. Market cycles and political cycles are fairly repeatable, and in in the much – the longer the the forecasting time frame, the more accurate you can be. It's easy to tell you what's going to happen in 50 years and across 50 years. You can do all the demographics. People get born – They grow up, they have to eat, they have to live, they have to have a place to stay, they get an education. Like, demographers can give you, that's why an insurance agency can make money. They know to the to the month, the average time a person will die, and they know exactly how much money to take from them to always win as the house, not in every case, but across the board on life insurance. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have life insurance, it's just why they do it the way that they do it. So the further out we look, so when you look out, and you look at cycles, and you look at presidents, and you look at presidents that come in and take over when the prior president at one point during their term had held the House, the Senate, and the White House. Generally, that prior president will lose one or both houses in the midterms. And generally, that president's party will lose the next election. This is a repeatable pattern. It happened to Bill Clinton, right? It happened to Ronald Reagan, except he never had he never had a monopoly in the House and Senate. But it's still, you know, he got hit in the midterms, even when he was really popular. Clinton was popular when he got hit in the midterms. Bush was popular when he got hit in the midterms. Obama was incredibly popular when he got hit in the midterms. This is your losing season anyway. So you deploy your losing strategy in your losing season, and you head fake. You head fake, and then people think they won. That's why they let you vote, because you think it matters. 
You believe it. Nobody's been able to answer me with math and show their work as to how their vote matters or my vote matters. It's all, well, you, you know, you have an obligation. Okay, fine. I, we're not, I said, prove to me it matters. Can't do it. Everything these people do, they do based on the macro effect across time. And they're very accurate with their plays. I could be wrong on this one, but it's my best guess. Moving on. Let's talk about everybody's plan. I know what we're going to do. We're going to get us a community. We're going to put a community together. And you know, guys, I'm, I'm all for this. I'm also a grown-ass man, and I just told you that no matter what happened in 9-11, it doesn't matter because whatever happened, happened, and they got away with it, whatever it was. So I'm also like, let's be honest about this community idea. This idea, we'll all get a bunch of land. We'll divide it up. We'll have common areas, and we'll have our own areas, and then we'll have, like, some people want it to be a hippie commune, some want it to be Ancapistan, and we'll do So this has been attempted. This has been attempted across the entire socioeconomic spectrum. It's been done by rich people. It's been done by poor people. It's been done by super eco-hippies. It's been done by capitalists. About the only one that works is a very sterile environment where they have a gated community for rich people. It's really not a planned community. It's just where they live and you don't get to go. When we're talking about actual communities, 98% failure rate. 98% fail. Should we even be talking about this? Does it make sense to bet on a 98% failure rate. I think it does if we stop talking about it with this new idea kind of thing. And we start talking about community as what it was before we felt this need to build community. So I, I think back to when I was a kid. And if I would have said to my grandfather, we need to have a planned community, he would have said, what kind of crazy shit are they teaching you in that school of yours? What do you mean? I know everybody on this street. I know their kids. I know where they live. What the hell are you talking about? Well, we could all grow food together. Don't you see the garden right down there, stupid? Ain't you supposed to be taking that stuff up to Miss Katzmer today? What are you talking about? Well, no, if we needed something, then somebody could reach out. Don't you know Buddy Shoemaker that makes the wine up the road? He can get anything I need done done for me. What's wrong with you? And my little community, and I'm talking mid-80s here, wasn't unique. It wasn't unique. Philadelphia was thousands of neighborhoods just like that. Totally different environment. Very urban. Houses right next to each other, stacked on top of each other. A lot of them in the country. Central PA. Same philosophy. And everywhere I can remember was like that. When I was younger... Growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida is the biggest city on the planet measured by square miles. So measured by area, not population. Duval County is Jacksonville. So the entire county, and it's a big county, is Jacksonville. Huge place. Whenever we would go visit people, people that were friends with my father, in their neighborhood, they knew everybody. My dad had a network. My granddad had a network. Everybody had a network. People that would never use the word network had networks. I didn't even know they were networks because nobody called them that. They're just your friend. I think we're doing it wrong. 
I think we let them destroy the natural community. And instead of restoring the natural community, we're trying to create a new thing that's never really existed. I mean, the only thing that's similar to it that worked it involved a lot of death and risk. And that was like when people first started leaving Europe and coming to America in small groups and the little, little towns and stuff that they built, you know, Jamestown and Plymouth Rock and shit like that. And most of those people died. And they kind of like, you know, once you committed to that, you really didn't have an easy out. You said, you know, this place sucks. I'm going back to Suffolk. Right. It didn't work that way. Like, I guess I have to figure this shit out. And they were also bonded by common religious ideals. And people get mad when I use this term, but all religions are cults. That doesn't, not all cults are bad. And then that was something that was a binding thing that held people together. There was a certain thing that we understood about each other. Like, it's actually not diversity with our, that's our strength in something like this. It's homogenization. It's being very similar in ideals and desires that holds a community together in the early stages. And then it kind of naturally grows into this kind of neighborhood thing. And then you learn to get along with your neighbor because you live next to him and you know everybody because if you don't know everybody, people think you're weird. Do you know what would have happened if it was 1985 and you lived in where I did in Jonestown or Pottsville or Minersville and those little towns around there? And somebody said, well, do you know this person? He said, no, well, it's decent sized place. Pottsville is like 20,000 people at the time. So, oh, okay. But do you know this person? By the time they got to about the fourth person that you didn't know, they were like, well, well, who the hell do you know? What's wrong with you? Like it would be expected that like, you know, out of this group of people, you'd know somebody. Never happened either. Strange thing. that. I, I don't know. I look more and more at this and think that, like, the way to build these communities is actually just to take existing infrastructure, small towns, etc., and start moving people into them and harnessing existing infrastructure and just building community where you're planted. I think this idea that we're going to go and we're going to buy a thousand acres and bring people in from all over the place, it's been tried, it's been done, it almost never works. And I'm not saying not to do it if that's your dream. I'm just saying it almost never works. And maybe we should stop being so attached to an idea that's almost never worked. Right? We just haven't tried a real planned community yet. <laughs> Sounds like that wasn't real socialism. It sounds like the same argument. It seems that people generally want to live where they want to live. And these people, all these people have these ideals. I don't know. And it, it, there is no doubt that part of the problem is how difficult it is to do and how expensive it is to do because government. There's places you could do it, though, with almost no interference from anybody whatsoever. You just don't want to live there. West Texas you can go out there and buy a thousand acres for $50 an acre. And there's no codes. There's no, you can do anything you want. If you move enough people in, you could probably completely control the county government in a week. You could take over. A lot of their, their uh, offices and stuff aren't even full. I mean, they're political offices. Nobody runs. Nobody wants to. It's not worth their time. So you could take everything over and, and give yourself a pretty good cocoon, but nobody wants to live there. It doesn't rain. It's all rock and dirt and sand, and it sucks, and it's a 1,000 degrees out. But you could do it. Here's the funny thing. A lot of people feel that way about a place you don't. I don't want to live there. 
People don't want to uproot their lives. I think if we're going to build community and we mean it, we need to start talking more about building community where we live. And I think people that do want to move closer to like-minded people, we need to start taking the Coles model, the Coles sauces model. Seriously, it works. There's a house up for sale. I'm going to get into my network and say, hey, who wants to, there's a house right here for sale. It's not even on the market yet. I talked to them and they said they're going to put it up for sale. And I think the problem with that is that you have to pick the right place where the property is affordable. Like my biggest problem in doing that here is every time a house goes up for sale, it's, and I don't even know now. Before this retarded uptick in real estate values, it was half a million dollars and up. And a year and a half ago, there wasn't even anything for sale. So that makes it hard to bring in lots of people from the homesteading level, community, et cetera. But I think that that's really, like, if I was going to try to do it and I had some funding and some money, I would be more likely to pick kind of an aging town that has quite a lot of property for sale and is rife that if you brought in just a few more people, you could kind of own the government and the Chamber of Commerce and just kind of start bringing people to a place that already is there where they can just go to a bank and get a mortgage, that type of thing. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think if you look across this country, there's tons of shrinking towns. And I just wanted to bring that up today. Are we wasting our time thinking about these pie in the sky days because it's fun to do? instead of actually looking at the, the, the assets that we have out there. You know, the Strong Towns guy got me thinking this way more than I already was. I think he's looking for a little bit bigger places than me. I'm thinking little towns. I'm talking a couple thousand people, 10,000 people or less, that type of thing. I think a couple thousand is a really great number for a small town. And what I see maybe if you did this right strategically is small towns that collectively are enough to support like a regional hospital and things like that. There's, there's, there's so much opportunity. Uh, Crockpot Broadway says the old paper towns where the mills shut down in North, Northern New England are ideal candidates. Yeah. That area, you know what they have? You could literally just turn it back on incredibly abundant hydroelectric power sitting there. Factories that shut down that they, there's a wheel. You could put it back in the water and start making energy now. And the whole place is just gone. There's an incredible Jeff Lawton video. If I remember, I'll try to find it and put it up for you guys. Uh, just thought. I want to talk this question I got. I thought this was interesting. Dealing with toxic and status relatives, not necessarily one and the same. That not necessarily one and the same is me, not the person asking the question. Toxic status relatives is how I read. I mean, if the, the person asked me if you're out there listening and I got it wrong and, I, and you were making that distinction yourself, great. It's not how I read it. I think we have to be very careful when we move into the realm of minarchist libertarianism to anarchism, voluntarism, agorism, what have you. We need to remember something. Even LP libertarians, the most anarchists are like, you're like a Republican light dude, right? Um, even that group, from that group toward freedom. Remember, the real political spectrum is tyranny. Right. And freedom, fascism and communism go in the same space on the real political spectrum. They can hate each other. They're still the same amount of tyranny. 
And then you got socialism and liberal democracy and you kind of Republican. Then you get all the way over to anarchy, a big scary word, voluntarism, where you actually get to keep your shit and no one gets to take it unless you voluntarily give it to them on a consensual relationship. The further you get toward that side of things, you have to realize the more not normal, and I'm going to define normal in this instance in just a second, the more not normal you are. Now, I think it is actually the most normal state for a human being to be in. All you have to do is take a kid and take half their cookies and tell them it's a tax, and you'll see how normal it is to say, that was mine, you shouldn't have t- took it away from me. That's why they call it child. They call it childish, because they're trying to, to bury the normalcy. But that's not what I mean when I say normal here. When I say normal, I mean the vast majority of people, even that have major disagreements about life. You're dyed in the wool Republican that believes the Republicans really are for smaller government, even though they've never made it happen, right? You're dot in the wool Democrat. You're crazy liberal Democrat that thinks it's okay to talk to children about sex when you're not their parents and have no business. Eating. That one. And then like you, you're kind of like ultra conservative, damn near right wing authoritarian. Like all those people, they still share a normalcy. A normalcy commonality, a common metric that you can measure, which is they believe in the system as it is. They just want their version of it. The number of us are like, the entire system is bullshit. We are the vast minority. And by and large, we are the ones who changed. So think of it like all your family members. Think of it like being in a relationship with a spouse, right? And your spouse and you got together and there was so many things you agreed on. And we're talking like tactical things, like going forward. We want to have children. We want to probably have two. We want to live in this area. We want this kind of a house. Like everything's like that. Now, one day your spouse, be it your wife, your husband comes home and says, I don't want any of that anymore. I want to go live in an earth ship in New Mexico. You go, well, honey, wait a minute. We can talk about this. Maybe, maybe there's, a, oh, no, no. No, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to do it. You know those kids we were going to have? Yeah, I don't want to have kids. I want to adopt kids from Central Africa because they need a good home to live in. Well, can we talk? No, we cannot talk about this. Not saying either one's a bad thing. I'm just saying like, that's not the deal that you had, right? All our, all our cars, I want to sell them. Well, then we'll have money to do this. No, I want to donate the money to charity, right? You see how that works? Right. So all of a sudden you're dealing with this person who has completely gone away from what you had planned together. This is you telling your uncle Frank, who's a cop or a Vietnam veteran or whatever, how the government sucks. The whole thing, like even if you're right, this is you're the one that changed. And I think we need to be very careful when we're dealing with family and friends who are good people. That we, we've just like, oh, you're way shit. My brother-in-law's perfect example. He's a cop. Nearing retirement. Good guy. We have some real dramatic differences of opinion on things. We have some areas that we agree upon. He thinks I'm crazy, but I think anarchy can ever work. I think it's crazy that he doesn't understand that when he puts a pair of pants on that he chooses to wear in the morning for himself without somebody telling him what to do, that that's anarchy in his life. I think we're using different definitions of the word anarchy. But I'm only going to talk to him about this shit as much as he wants to talk to me about. 
I'm not going to tell him that I think 90% of the laws that are enforced by people like himself are bullshit, unless he asks me. I'm not going to tell him that I think just doing my job is a freaking cop-out, right? Because this is not going to change anything in his life or mine, except we're not going to have a relationship anymore, and that's bad because we're family and we like each other. So I think with the status thing, we got to be really careful, and we don't take toxic and status and put them together. Now, you might say they are. I understand the toxicity of statism. I understand that it's a mental disorder. I understand that it's the greatest cult religion ever created by man. I get all that. But when I'm using toxic here, toxic people suck. So the way I deal with toxic people is, you don't qualify to be in my life. You can be an anarchist and be toxic. You can be a minarchist and be toxic. You can be a statist and be toxic. You can be a doctor and be toxic. You can be a, I don't know, a ballerina and be toxic. You can be a farmer and be toxic. You can be a lawyer and be toxic. You can be a lineman and be toxic. You can be a telephone repair person and be toxic. You could be a car salesman and be toxic. You can be toxic and be any other modifier you want. And truly toxic people don't qualify to be in my life. If you are a family member and you are toxic, then I will deal with you when I have to and basically keep my mouth shut and not say anything bad about you. And I will minimize my contact with you to holidays or whenever I have to be around you. And when somebody asks me about you, I'll say, I don't know. You have to ask them. That's how I'll handle toxic people in my life. So status, if you're having a hard time dealing with status, this is a problem you have. 99% of people are status. You can't be in the 1% and expect everybody to see things your way. And if you do, there's a word for that. Delusional. You have a mental illness of your own. If you think, if you think that a person that thinks like you or doesn't think like you needs to immediately change because you explained it to them, then you probably don't remember how hard it was for you to let go. Right? How hard was it for you to let go of this collectivist belief system that you were brought up your entire life with? Many of you still have it. I've drug you as far as I can to my side. And I don't ever beat you up for not getting there, do I? I might tell you, hey, your vote doesn't matter, but do I ever tell you not to vote? Can one person ever produce, I've been doing this 15 years almost, it'll be 15 years next year, produce one piece of audio or text that says, you shouldn't vote. You can find me saying, I don't do it a lot. And you'll always hear me say, if for whatever reason you think it matters, go ahead. But if you think it matters, I want you to tell me how it matters. And then people get mad. But I always give you an out. This is how you have to handle people in your life. You're going to deal with 99% of people that are not going to think the way you do. And here's the other thing. That's true anyway. I've mentioned one of my favorite authors quite a bit lately, Richard Bach. In the book, Illusions, there's a point where Donald Shmoda, who is the reluctant messiah, and Richard are having a conversation about worlds. And he said something like, you know, Don, I don't think you and I even live in the same world. And Don's just like, Oh, you've let me down, man. I'm paraphrasing big time here because I don't remember the exact text. But basically, and I think the world population at the time, this was the 60s, like 4 billion, you know. He said, are you going to really tell me, Richard, that 4 billion people don't live in 4 billion different worlds? You're going to tell me that two people standing shoulder to shoulder looking at a sunset see it exactly the same way? See the same things in it? Two people that look at red see the same red? You gonna tell me that? 
let alone complex issues, do people see them the exact same way? Even if they think they do, the deeper you dig, you'll find a place that your views bifurcate. So don't expect people to agree with everything you have to say, and don't think that it's important that you change their mind because it's really not. What's important is how you live. And I'll tell you this, your life is better with more people you can rely on and depend on. I have to say the other thing about like the neighborhoods I grew up in, I can't look back now and tell you how I thought I think any of those people would have voted. They never even talked about it. They would talk about something that affected them. Like, should they build this baseball field or not? That was going to come from tax law. Should they build it? Like, is it a, like, not even like, is it good to have a baseball? Like, it's just the right place. Is it, are we paying too much for it? Like, that's what they talked about. I never heard Democrat or Republican except in school. This is all part of the plan is to divide you. Don't let them do it. Because I guarantee you, like I mentioned Buddy Shoemaker. For those that never heard the story, this dude that made homemade wine. He lived about four houses up from my granddad. I used to cut the grapes, my grandfather's grapes, every year. And my grandmother would make a certain amount of them in juice and a certain amount of them in a jelly and jam. And I would take a big giant, couple big giant bags and I'd take multiple trips up the road to Buddy's house. And I'd give them to Buddy. And Buddy would make wine. And he basically would make wine with whatever somebody brought him. And then he would keep like 30% of the wine and give 70% of it back. He knew everybody. And not just in, in a little town, Jonestown, but Minersville, Pottsville, like he knew everybody. Anybody that had a big windfall of anything like that, it went up to buddies. There's time of year, I don't even know where he got it. Uh, he, he had rice. He made uh, sake. You can smell the koji. It's a really distinctive smell. I don't know if maybe he just made that for himself or whatever. But this guy, everybody knew him. And he could get anything done for anybody. You know the song Dust on the Bottle by David Lee Murphy, Cleo Wilson, right? Lived down a dirt road, made homemade wine like nobody I know. That was this dude. I think the song's about him, only the road wasn't dirt, it was brick. That's how old it was, it was a brick road. And uh, I guarantee you that nobody ever called Buddy and said, hey, I'm trying to get something done. And he said, well, let me, let me before I do this for you, who are you voting for? None of this shit was like that. It's It's the last piece to dismantle America. And take us from something that was basically really strong to like we're a completely vulcanized society today. Different pieces attached and welded on. Back in uh, back in the 80s, there was a company down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, where I lived as a kid. It was called Robert's Recaps. They were on TV all the time. And they don't exist anymore. What they were, they would take a tire that was completely worn out. And they would take a piece of rubber and they would vulcanize the, the new tread onto the old tire. And after enough of them exploded, you know, and caused wrecks and shit, it all went away. And I remember my dad saying it's vulcanized, and that's what they're doing to America. They're vulcanizing us. That bond can never be the same as forming the thing for, as, a, as, a, as a single unit, trying to attach pieces onto it. He said instead of a melting pot, it's a, it's a vulcanized America, and it'll never stand. My old man saw that, 80s. I remember as a kid, as a teenager. Was that obvious to him and me? Maybe it's what's really going on. Last, the slowing or the, the the acceleration of the passing of time as we age. I I I I, I would just uh, I would just say the the easiest way to to, to say this, and I, I couldn't find the comment today, but it was a perfect comment from YouTube. So whoever you are, thank you for it. To understand this is to think about percentage of your life 
So think back to being 10 years old. You're 10, right? You can probably remember being 10. A lot of people say they can remember being three or four. And what you remember is things that happened. You don't really remember being four or being three. You remember like a birthday or something good or really bad happened, right? But like if you think when you're 10 and you really start thinking about well, what year was that, what grade I was in, you could probably like kind of outline your life at 10. And you have that capacity at 10, right, to think, you know, I'm going to do this this summer and I'm going to do this this winter. And maybe you start to notice girls a little bit if you're a boy or boys a little bit if you're a girl, not real heavy yet. But you start to notice you, you, you start to actually form your own thoughts and stuff. Right. So at 10, the school year ends, bell rings, you have summer ahead of you for just round it off and say it's a quarter. It's 12 weeks. OK, at 10 years of age. Ignore the fact there's a lot of your life you don't even really remember, like crap in your pants when you were two months old. But you've lived 40 quarters. So the summer is one fortieth of your entire existence. See how that works? One fortieth of your entire existence. That sounds like a pretty small fraction. It's actually a pretty big deal. It seems long. Now you're 50. How many quarters has a 50-year-old lived? Five times four, 20 out of zero, 200. You're 50. Your kids or grandkids, whatever, out of school. You're going through that summer. One two hundredth. You just have a totally different perspective of time by being around longer. I've been aware of time going by. In the end, they say, it's the wink of an eye. Because it is. There's another song I can't, Five for Fighting, 100 Years. It, 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 there's, this is like, what made me even bring this up as like an anchor segment today is how many people reached out to me and said I never really talked about it, but I noticed that I thought if I talked about it, people would think I'm crazy. This is not an unknown thing. It, 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 this is not something that's not been observed throughout history. It's not something that makes you crazy to understand that, boy, it feels like time moves faster. People say it, but then they don't want to have like an intellectual conversation about the why. I think part of why is it puts us in touch with our mortality. So if time seems to move a lot faster when I'm 50, what's it going to move like when I'm 70? Should I make 70 or 80 or 90? But I think it's really good for us to be in touch with our mortality. And again, I think back to that little town, Jonestown. Not the one with the Kool-Aid. It's in Pennsylvania. And uh, just north of a place called Minersville. It's a pretty small little city. Little town, really. And... uh I think about the people that were close to my family and the people that I, I grew up around. We were Ukrainian immigrants. We came to the United States from the Ukraine via Romania. And several of the families that lived on, on that street literally came over on the same ship. That's how far back they went. So I had all these, we call them chuchis. They're like ants that aren't ants, you know that I would just go see. And it was like going to see family, even though you didn't have blood relation, like you were just that tight. And I remember uh, my Chachi Debsky one time saying, uh, I'm going to die soon. I, 
and this is like during a summer vacation when I was still living in Florida. So I, I'm like nine or ten years old. Yeah, but what? Huh? She was like in her 90s. She said, well, I can't live forever. And they talked about it, and they were at peace with it. Like, I had a good long life. I still get around. Just come see me. But I just want you to know I'm not always going to be here. You're going to, you're, because I still live in Florida. You know, you're going to come one summer. And I won't be here. Don't be sad. Nobody got upset about being in touch with their, their mortality. They got along with their friends and neighbors. And maybe when you're in touch with your mortality, and you see that you don't go on forever. And you are not the most important freaking little snowflake in the world. Maybe it's a little bit easier to get along with people. Maybe you understand that this moment right now is more important as a moment than it is about getting somebody to think your way or bend your way or do what you say. Or it's more important as a moment in time than a moment for you to get what you want. I'm all about getting what you want if it's something you work for versus something you're demanding of somebody else. Because there's something funny about this. If you're in touch with your mortality and you can have what you want, but you have to work for it, you have to be a little bit more selective about what you want, don't you? You have to think a little bit more about what you want. And then you start getting in touch with the reality that since you won't be here, maybe you need to think about what that next generation wants and what that next generation wants and so on. We go back to that seventh generational thinking. Anyway, with that, I've wrapped up. I wanted to throw one thing out for you guys today. Tomorrow, I'm going to be doing a Bitcoin breakout episode. Uh, I lost my guest for tomorrow, and I, I, I told Dorothy not to rebook anybody or anything like that. I'm going to go solo with Bitcoin breakout tomorrow. And I'm going to just do some misconceptions about Lightning Network and some other questions I've seen. I could use some more questions, though, about Bitcoin. If you have any questions about Bitcoin and what do you think of investing do in Dogecoin is not a question about Bitcoin. If you have any questions about Bitcoin, a Lightning Network, other layered solutions, etc., please email me today, would be best, tomorrow morning, okay, with TSPC Bitcoin or TSPC BTC in the subject line. Give me your question, one sentence, not 52 questions, not let me tell you about my life, give me all the details you want, but give me a succinct single line question. Hit the return key and then give me whatever details you want. If you have any kind of resources or news stories or something like that, don't put them in the comments here. I'm not going to see them. We're wrapping up. Um, yeah. Go ahead and send them over to me, and I'll try to make it as much about you guys as possible. And next up, I want to remind you guys that one of the ways you can help support us is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. You help us out no matter what you eventually buy. I want to tell you about our item of the day today, and I'm going to bring it up on the screen for you as well. Uh, I do keep everything cataloged uh, at tspaz.com. I have them in alphabetical order so that you can find all of the areas in your life that I recommend stuff for. But today's item of the day is really for your puppies. This is a product called Zymox, Z-Y-M-O-X, and it's a, it's a topical spray, those hot spots. Uh, this time of year when the ants really go crazy after we get the rains, uh, my dog Charlie ends up getting, re, uh, like he'll get ant bites. He'll eventually step in him and he's like chewing on him and stuff like that. And, uh, it's, it's really bad. He used to get more of the typical hot spots. This stuff works. And the reason I brought it around today is for a long time now, I've actually, not been able to get the, the 1% uh, 
um, hydrocortisone version of it on Amazon. It's been the half percent version for the same price. So you get half for shrinkflation uh, in more than one way. They now have it again in the full 1% formula. And this stuff just works. It uses four enzymes plus the hydrocortisone. And I'll tell you, I have a whole write-up on it. If you scroll down to the bottom here, um, I actually use this on myself. I can't give medical advice. I'm not giving medical advice. But we've used it quite a bit uh, on ourselves. And it has been useful. Ant bites, scrapes, scratches. I tell a story in this write-up here about a spider bite. Uh, that I had that was becoming necrotic and it knocked it out. I wouldn't, if you get bit by a black wreck, a black widow or a brown wreck was, I would go to the ER. This was some sort of garden variety spider, but it was still necrotic and kind of uh, painful and a problem and it worked really well. And this stuff right here and another product that I recommend called Aromacare Ear Wipes, which I didn't put a link in there for. I need to get that link added. Uh, they're the two greatest things that I've found for my dogs. And I know many of you guys are pet owners. And I'll tell you, if you read the Zymox reviews on Amazon, there are people that own dogs that they, they said literally when they found this thing, they cried for their dog because it solved the problem. They couldn't get anything else to fix. Uh, I'm not big on using the term miracle cures or something like that. But this stuff, it's not a miracle. It's science. But for many people, I think it's a miracle in their life that they had this problem that they, you know, they've went to their vet. They've tried this. They've tried that. They've tried hydrocortisone, but they haven't tried it in combination with these enzymes that are derived from milk, by the way. And when I found this product and it worked, I'm like, somebody told me it worked. I tried it. It worked. I'm like, okay, now I need to know why. So I did some research into these four enzymes, and all of them have very strong clinical uh, research done on them that show that they are good for preventing infections and helping wounds heal and things like that. So I, I just really recommend that along with the ear wipes uh, as well for your dogs. Um to me, my dogs are family, and so remember, dogs are not, Zymox are not. You can always help support the show when you do your online shopping starting at tspats.com. With that, I've wrapped up. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I enjoyed doing it. I will catch you tomorrow with an episode of Bitcoin Breakout. Remember, send those questions in, and I'll try to get them answered for you. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you. A better way You don't have to be Another face in the crowd You don't have to live The way they tell you to Make your own way The others will follow Yeah.